Good morning, Joy Church. How's it going today? Amazing. That's awesome. Man, Merry Christmas. So good to see you guys. I love being in here with the lights. It feels so cozy. How many of you just want to sit down by the fire and drink hot cocoa out in the lobby, you know, and just sing Christmas carols? Does anybody else incessantly whistle Christmas carols from about November 1st until January 31st? You know, just it's Bethany knows I'll whistle Christmas carols in July. If the Christmas carol gets in there, it ain't coming out. Yeah. So good to see you guys today. As I was driving in, uh, in into the, the parking lot this morning, I just felt the Lord kind of speak something into my spirit to tell you today that you're beautiful to him. Uh, God loves you. You know, I think many times we think that God tolerates us, uh, but that's not, that's not the case. He loves you and he likes you and he's for you and you're beautiful to him. Uh, my kids, you know, they're not always perfectly behaved, not always perfectly clean, but they are beautiful to me because they're my children and uh, you're God's child and he loves you today. So if you don't get anything else out of today, get that. God loves you. He's for you. Amen. Amen. We're in a series called Legacy and uh, we've been talking about living a legacy so that we can leave a legacy for future generations. As a part of that, we're talking about legacy offering. This is something we do in the month of December in the Christmas season to say, God, in the abundance and the blessing that you poured in us, we want to give back. And so at Joy Church, we have a fund called Legacy Fund. And this gets separated into two categories, local legacy and global legacy. Local legacy goes to things like Shasta Middle School, where we do backpacks for kids, beautify the school, uh, give out uh, Thanksgiving dinners, all kinds of things like that. Um, We're working with Cottages of Hope this year to build uh, housing for people that don't have that, but also processes to get back on their feet. Um, All kinds of things that we do here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Also, Global Legacy, we give to churches all around the world, missions, projects, like Surge Project, which takes, I think, two or $3,000 and plants a church in a uh, third world nation. So I think last year as a church, we either planted six or eight churches, maybe more than that. Mark could remind me, but I think six or eight churches last year we planted uh, through Surge. Really, really cool stuff. So the way legacy works is we're just asking you to do three things. One, spend some time with Jesus and say, Jesus, out of what you've given to me in the abundance and the blessing of my life, what would you have me give to this offering? There's no pressure. It's not about the amount of money. To me, it's about the discipline and the obedience of inviting Jesus into this space of our life and our heart. Uh, And so that's number one. Just ask Jesus if he would have you give something. And if he says, don't give, then don't give. Just obey what he says to you, right? Amen? Uh, It's not the sum, it's the obedience, okay? And then the second thing is talk to your family about this. One of the things that, that Bethany and I do is we don't just go, oh, this is what we're doing. I don't do that. She doesn't do that. We talk about things we, we strategize together and we both practice living out our walk of faith together. And so this is a great moment to say, hey, what are you hearing from the Lord? Um, and she was like $50,000. And I was like, I rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name. <laughs> I'm not hearing that. No, I'm kidding. But we, uh, we challenge each other in faith that way, talk about that. And then the third thing is when you feel like God's given you a sum, you've talked about it with your family, uh, you can go to joyeugene.com give. And in the drop down menu, there's a legacy category, or you can do it in the tithes and offerings envelopes that are in the back of the chairs. Um, But this is just a great opportunity and season to participate in what God is doing um, around the world and also in our community through legacy. So if you want to hear kind of the full description of that, go back two weeks ago. I kind of gave the full meal deal of what legacy was. And last week we celebrated that this year as a church, we we built uh, solar panels. We gave the money for them to put solar panels on the roof of the church in Romania in order to bring their energy costs down as they help refugees from Ukraine and really cool stuff that God uses us to do. So That's legacy offering. 
The official date of Legacy Offering is next Sunday, December 11th, but it's kind of a season. It's open, open season, like hunting season. You just get your tag and you go out and do your thing. I've heard. I don't do it, but you know, I've heard that that's what the real men do. So anyways, uh, we're jumping in today talking about legacy, and today I want to talk about legacy of generosity. You know, the, the tagline for this series is this, that you can't leave a legacy unless you live for legacy. The things that we want to see exist and, and be passed down to future generations 50, 100 years from now, our children, our children's children, it starts with our obedience and faithfulness to Christ in today, right? Right now. And as we talk about legacy, this idea of generosity is really powerful. Now, generosity, to be clear, is not about how much you give. It's about having a, a different posture of life where you say, God, I don't have empty hands, and nor do I have closed hands. I have open hands. So that what you put into my hands is free for your kingdom purposes, that you can use my life and my blessing and what you've done in me and through me, that it, it's, it's, it's free for you to use. We've turned over the lordship of our life in this area of finances and money to Christ, like any other area of discipleship. And one of the things that I know about God that we serve is that he's incredibly generous. I mean, point number one being he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. I mean, what a treasure that was given uh, for Christ, I mean, we're given for us, Christ at the cross. Amen? So God is generous. And as we are disciples, as we are sons and daughters of God, and we're living out what it looks like to look like our Father in heaven, he wants to create a generous heart inside of us, which again, is not about how much you have or don't have, how much you give or don't give, or whether you do or do not give to a particular offering at church this season or whatever. It has to do with letting God get on the inside of you and transform your character so that you become a generous person a different posture of life, a, a new posture of your heart. Today I'm wearing these, uh, these leather shoes. I don't know if you can see them from the back, but I'll do my best to, that's as far as my legs bend in case anyone was wondering. No, I don't do yoga. That's as far as they bend. Um, somebody was asking me something the other day to pick something up and I was like, you realize I only, I'm only down or up. I don't have like that in-between motion that other people have, right? How many of you know what I mean? You cross 30 and you're either asleep, flat on your back, or you're totally upright. You know, there is no in-between. Your back doesn't actually bend anymore. Uh, that's a joke. You don't have to laugh. But uh, some of you are like, you should exercise. Well, you should go to church every Sunday. All right, so we all have things we need to grow in. You all right? Okay. These shoes I'm wearing, back to that, uh, these leather shoes, I think they're Steve Madden brand. They're probably... I don't know, $80 shoes, but I didn't buy these shoes. These actually belonged to my grandfather, Vincent James Cafaro. And uh, when he passed away, right before our daughter Evie was born, uh, my grandma said, hey, I have some of your gran grandfather's things. Would, would you like these shoes? And I said, of course, because I knew my grandpa was a nice dresser. You know, he was really sharp and we had the same shoe size. And so uh, I inherited these, these shoes. And um, I wore them today uh, because I wanted to talk about standing in the legacy that was left to me. And when I think about my grandfather, Jim, or Vincent, you know, his, there were so many things I could talk about. He was a worshiper, he's a beautiful man, but, but one of the things that I always noted about him was his generosity. My dad said this to me recently about my grandfather, Jim, would be his uh, father-in-law. He said, you know, your, your grandpa, Jim, he didn't see money as a, as a pond. He saw money as a river, that it flowed you know, through him, and, and he was very generous, and he never had trouble making money. He owned different businesses. He would, it was like whatever he did would, would turn to gold. He and my grandma ended up buying this property out in Eagle Point, and then several years later, 
they were like, we're going to build a golf course. Not them, but somebody else. And all of a sudden that property just, woo, shot up. They had no idea, but, but he was a very generous man. And uh, God brought finances to him, but finances got through him. And I watched growing up as a, as a young crumb cruncher, my grandfather just demonstrate generosity. So I'm proud to stand in even his literal shoes today and talk about generosity. Because the posture of our heart and how we live, it doesn't just make a mark in the moment, it makes a mark on the generations to come. And generosity is what God wants in our hearts to be uh, the posture of our, of our lives. So today I want to share three keys to live and to leave a legacy of generosity. Now, I'm going to give you a quick disclaimer today. Very, very quick. Number one, when a preacher starts talking about money in church, you know, I think people get nervous, like, uh-oh, or is he going to like have us do some kind of miracle offering today or whatever? No, the miracle offering's next week. That's legacy, right? We've been talking about it. No, I'm just teasing. But I want, I want to explain something about how we do things here at Joy Church. Bethany and I, we really care about uh, transparency and integrity. And so we have a system with our elders and our church leaders, church government system, where we do not determine what we get paid as pastors of Joy Church. There's an independent committee that, that does that. And so when we talk about money in church, it doesn't benefit us in any way, shape, or form other than if the church closed down, we wouldn't have a job. So I am for having a job. I don't know about you. I'm pro that. But um, we don't, when I talk about money, I want you to understand there's not like a personal gain motivation here. Okay. So that's number one. The second thing is that Bethany and I, it's like the hair club for men. We're not just the president. We're also the client. Um, we, we belong to Joy Church. We are members of Joy Church. And so we practice giving through tithing and free will offerings. And we participate in the life of this church community as members, not just because we're pastors, we are disciples of Jesus Christ alongside of you, arm, arm, shoulder to shoulder, and we give because we believe in it, okay? And we believe that Jesus wants the totality of our life, which includes our finances, and I'll talk about this more. So as I share this today, I want you to understand I'm speaking to you as a brother. Uh, I am speaking to you as a pastor, but there's no gain for me here as I share these things. Secondly, I believe in this stuff as a disciple, and I'm going to give you my best as a brother of inviting you into the fullness of what God has for you. Amen? So let's jump in. Three keys to live a legacy of generosity. Number one, serve God, not money. Serve God, not money. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I, I get upset about this because I'll meet people and they'll be like, I root for the Huskies and the Ducks. And I'm like, no. No, you need to read the Bible. It's one master, you know what I mean? Now, what is allowed biblically is you can root for the Beavers when they're playing other teams, okay? But what is not biblical is to root for USC ever at any time or root for the Huskies. Are we clear? Everybody good? Okay. I feel like Paul, you know, in, the, in Corinthians when he says, this isn't the Lord saying this, but this is, I believe, what the Lord would say to you, you know? <laughs> but Jesus deals with money, and I'll tell you why. Because money has this nasty habit of taking God's place in the allegiance and affection of the human heart, See, money represents our capacity to take care of ourselves, to meet our needs. It represents also our ability to influence and exercise control over external things to us. And so it becomes a stand-in often for God. And we'll talk more about this in a second. And Jesus says, you know, it's impossible. This is an either-or thing. This is a binary thing. You can't serve both God and money. You have to choose ultimately who is in control. Now, we all face this test in life, what we call the money test. 
And it's a test about trust and lordship. The first question is who will meet my needs? Because all of us have needs. You know, we have those habits of wanting to sleep indoors, right? How many of you like eating food and sleeping indoors, right? You want to support that habit. I, I want to keep that going. Uh, we have needs to pay our bills and take care of our kids and so on and so forth. And so there's this question of who's going to meet my needs? Where is my daily bread going to come from? And this is a big question. Probably a more important question is the second one, which is this, who's in control? Because once our needs are met, then it becomes, well, these are my resources and I get to decide. I get to exercise my will. My kingdom come. My will be done through my resources because this is my hard-earned money and it's mine. Mine, 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 mine. And control becomes really one of those things in our heart that Jesus is gently wanting to wrestle with you to set you free from wanting to be in control. And so these questions are deeply entwined. Who's going to meet my needs? Who's in control? And that's why Jesus says you got to decide who is in the captain's seat. Who's driving this vehicle? Is it, is it money? Is money the, the driving force and the, the motivation of the things that you do and what you, what you do or do not do in life? Or is God in control and is he king sitting on the throne? Jesus had a, a great moment in uh, Luke chapter 12. We see this. It says, someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Why does he say every kind of greed? Because greed comes in different forms and, and, and facets. Um, many people in our generation think that the people that struggle with greed are all wealthy and rich and it's the rich people and they should do such and such because they're rich. I would propose to you today that greed is just as a pervasive of a problem in the poor as it is among the rich. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So Jesus says, guard against all kinds of greed, every kind. And he says this, life is not measured by how much you own. Now, this is one of those, take a moment, pause, take a deep breath, and let's think about what Jesus is saying here, because this is a big idea. Jesus is giving us a new measurement to measure life by, a new standard to measure life by. And when he says that life is not measured by how much you own, there's a question that's implied here, which is this, well, then how should it be measured? If life is not measured by financial success, financial safety, financial prosperity, by how much money I have, by how much money I control, what I've done with my money, so on and so forth, how is it to be measured? Now, he doesn't answer the question right away. He tells a story, and this is what he says. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. And I think in the original Greek, he also said, whatever. He, he had that sort of job of the hut thing going on there. I think it's in the original Greek, but you guys haven't gone to Bible college. So we'll just keep um, looking through this. Now I'm teasing. You guys aren't laughing at my jokes today, but I still love you. <laughs> my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Somebody say, uh-oh. And then Jesus gives us the answer. He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So he answers the implied question from before. Here's the answer. Money is not the priority in life. Jesus tells us the real target is a rich relationship with God. And we go, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah, a rich relationship with God is, is really a priority above 
money and controlling money and having money. But then the question is this, how do I use my money to enrich my relationship with God? If, if the real target is a rich relationship with God, and this ties into my money, and this ties into my resources and how I use money and think about money, then what, how does this enrich my relationship with God? How can I use it? Well, a couple things, okay? Number one, you can't buy him. There's no, you can't buy God off, right? His allegiance and affection are freely given, and his lordship is ultimate. He is utterly incorruptible, immune to every bribe. Bethany and I went to Chicago this last summer and we had this wonderful Uber driver that was like a wealth of knowledge of history. And he was saying, yeah, here in Illinois, the standard is about 10% grift. What do they call it? Grift or basically theft. You know, you can, you can take 10% off the top of taxes and stuff. But once you cross over that, you go to jail. And we were like, oh. So there's a measure of corruption that's just basically built into the system, Right. And uh, I was just thinking about, you know, all these stories of gangsters in, in, in Prohibition era Chicago and they're greasing the palms of the police and the judges and all this kind of stuff. That doesn't happen in Oregon, guys. It doesn't happen here. I know it doesn't happen here. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just getting in trouble today, aren't I, Bethany? I'm just... God, you can't grease his palm. Uh, he's incorruptible. Your money is no good here, right? He's immune to every bribe. So money doesn't buy him doesn't buy his affection. Uh, number two, it doesn't impress him. What opulence could impress the creator of heaven and earth whose very words wove the fabric of reality? How, how am I going to impress God? Hey, look, God, I, I'm really showing up glitzy here. I've really succeeded. And he's not impressed. doesn't really move the needle for him. And then three, I can't manipulate him with money. So if I think that giving to the poor or giving to the church or giving to good social causes... Um, if that really moves God, you know, to really see me as something else, here's the reality. Uh, it means nothing to the one who can gaze directly into the hearts and minds of men before whose gaze no motivation is safe. So when I give to church or I give to legacy offering, if I'm giving in order to earn God's favor or I'm giving in a way to position myself better with him, he sees directly into my heart. He knows my motivation. Uh, so you can't buy him, you can't impress him, and you can't manipulate him. So what is the answer? If, if Jesus says we're supposed to enrich our relationship with God, and it ties into this money thing, what is the answer? Here it is. It's nothing less than unconditional surrender. There is no measure by which Christ is impressed when you give X amount. What he is impressed by or what he responds to is the complete offering of, your, of everything you are, have been, and will be which is what we call discipleship. Matthew 16, Jesus says this to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. God wants 100% of our life, nothing else, nothing less. And that just so happens to include our resources, our finances, our money. One of the reasons why I unashamedly preach and talk about money and finances is, number one, Jesus talked about it a lot, and it matters, right, to our soul and spirit. But number two is it is every bit a discipleship issue. There is not this thing in life where we say, well, I have my Christian life on Sundays, and I go to church, and, and maybe if I'm really Christian, I go to Joy Group on Wednesday nights or whatever, and if I'm really Christian, I've gone to Upper Room this year at least once, and if I'm really Christian, I actually serve on the Dream Team, Right? And then I have my real life, which is work and my money and maybe my sexuality and identity and political affiliations and all this kind of stuff. 
And the problem with that is that's to, what that's called is somebody who is not a Christian. See, a Christian is somebody who has died with Christ and is raised again in resurrection life to live their life for the glory of God. And that includes every part. Now, lest you think I'm like preaching at you today, that wrecks me too. Because <laughs> every day I wake up and I go, man, that zombie of my flesh man wants to try to rise back out of the grave and wrest control of my life from Christ. But by the grace of God, every day I go to the cross and say, okay, right arm, left arm, got the ankles. You know, put me on the cross because I'm dead in my sins, my trespasses, my agenda, my kingdom has to die so that his kingdom can come and live in me and the Christ life can begin to occur in me. And so when we talk about money, this idea of serving God or serving money, it's not something that we interchange as Christians like, well, you know, I'm going to work on it. Like Jesus wants to be king of your checkbook. He demands to be because it's a discipleship issue. He wants lordship of everything. And if he wants lordship of everything, it includes money. The second thought is this, how to live and leave a legacy of generosity. The second thought is this, put money in its rightful place. As we surrender every part of our life to Christ, and again, I know that this isn't like, oh, easy, easy, easy. No, it's simple to understand. It's very hard to do. As we surrender every part of our life to Christ as disciples, we, we need to then be redeemed in our thinking about money and put it in its rightful place. So what I want to do today is I want to highlight two wrong ways of thinking about money that will hopefully push us towards the, the right way of thinking about money. The first wrong view of money is this, that money is everything. And when you see money as everything, what that means is it's the driving force and motivation of your life. You make decisions based on the presence or the absence of money in your life. And when I say money, I mean resources, finances, both the, what you have and what your capacity is to acquire through your job, your business. I'm trying to loop it all together into one giant kind of overarching category. When we see money as everything, what ends up happening is money becomes a stand-in for God. Okay? Now, this is a, this is a, a big idea because money has a, this, this habit of sort of taking God's place. And I think most of the time it's sort of inadvertent. But if you think about what we count on for God, we count on him for protection. We count on him for provision. We count on him for direction. And money can actually take those places. Because if you have enough money, like the guy in the story, you can say, well, now I'm safe. I can take it easy. I've stored up my goods. And my safety and protection and my future is now secure in the hands of my barns filled with goods. And in our vernacular, this is bank accounts and 401ks and all that. Now for us, 20, 2022 Christians, lucky for us, our 401ks have gone down by half or whatever they have so in the past year. So praise the Lord. He set us free from the spirit of greed. How many of you are rejoicing? So grateful. Thank you, Jesus. You know, uh, Thank you, God, for 10% inflation. We just appreciate it so much. It's beautiful. We love it. Uh, but what happens is money if we see money as everything, it takes the place of God. It becomes our security, our safety, that which our faith rests upon. And this is something I wrestle with personally is I like to know, man, I got enough saved up for this. I got enough saved up for that. And now I don't have to worry. Well, you know what? Jesus actually told us in the Bible, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Why? Because the source of your protection, provision, and your future security is not what you have earned with your blood, sweat, and tears it is rather that you have depended fully upon God and his provision in life. 
And when you see a believer walking in miracle provision, it's, it's, it's very scary. It's also incredibly beautiful. I encourage you to look into the life of George Mueller. He had this value. He said, I will not ever ask anyone for anything. He ran a, an orphanage and he literally depended upon miracle provision of God, even to the level of the groceries or the, the food that would come to feed the orphans on a daily basis. And God always provided for him. So this is kind of a dynamic thing. It's kind of drastic because many of us have bought the American dream, but there's a different dream, which is the dream of Christ, the dream of the cross, the dream of the kingdom of God, which is better than the American dream, but it replaces it. They don't coexist. So this view of money is everything. Money becomes a stand-in for God. I remember hearing my, my dad always tease my mom because she kind of grew up more affluent than he did, and he would call her a rich girl, and he'd sing that song. She's a rich girl with the old man's money. And he, he would say this, you know, he said, I gave my wife, Kim, the only thing money couldn't buy, poverty. <laughs> Randy Alcorn, he wrote a book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity, and it's a, a life-altering book. I was talking to Bruce, uh, I don't know if Bruce is still here, but he read it and he was like, yeah, it changed my life. So if you want to get wrecked in this area, that, that's a great book. But Randy Alcorn says this, the need for money may be a factor in our decisions, but it is never the factor. God, not money, is sovereign. Money, whether by its presence or absence, must never rule our lives. Here's my version of that statement. Money is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. I find that many people will turn their ears off when we talk about money if they feel that they aren't quote-unquote rich and they'll say, well, money is a kind of a problem for the rich, but I'm poor or I don't have very much, so therefore I don't have a problem with money, but you do. See, if, if the absence of money is dictating what you do with your life, then it's just as much a factor in your life as if the presence of money. Does that make sense? When Bethany and I planted Joy Church, we'd recently lost our employment. We had about $25,000, $30,000 in the bank saved up, praise God that we had that, and we put it all on the line to plant this church. That was the church planting fund. So the entire legacy offering was Jake and Bethany, and I think Judah and Kyle might have contributed some, but they didn't have a lot either. So we, we, we didn't have any money. We didn't, we didn't go through this big church planting generosity thing, and the church is all funded, and it's all shielded, and our resources are separate. It was our money, our treasure was being invested into where our heart was, which was to see a life-giving church raised up in Eugene and Springfield. Now, our joy was to do that because we didn't make a decision based on the presence or the absence of money. I guarantee you if I'd gone to a committee of established pastors and said, we want to put our life savings on the line to plant a church. We have 20 people, no plan. We don't have a building. We met on, in our living room in South Eugene. They would have said, that's not very wise. The issue was that it wasn't wise. It was commanded by Jesus. So we did it. You see what I'm saying? The app, you don't, but okay, the absence of money did not rule our decision making because we didn't count on the app. We weren't counting on the presence of money in the bank account. We were counting on the presence of God yeah. leading and directing us by his spirit to take a step forward in faith. Yeah. And so we did. Absence of money does not dictate our direction, nor does the presence of money. You know, as we, as we grow older, the temptations change, don't they? I find that every day that goes by, my temptations move from maybe the more like lust of the flesh into the sort of pride of life. Like I want people to think of me a certain way. I want to feel safe and secure. I want to make sure my resources are safe. And what I ask God, a prayer of mine regularly is, Lord, keep me flexible and humble, like ready to just lose it all for you. Bethany's like, please don't pray that anymore. But you know, 
Actually, she's worse than me. She's way more likely to just give it all away. But, but as we get older, money is always creeping up the vine, trying to take over ownership again, like, you've got to trust in me. And a Christian says, no, money's not everything. I do what the Father commands me to do, whether the money is there or not. It's not the dictating factor. And so the right posture of a generous Christian is this. Jesus is Lord, and my money, along with every other part of my life, stands ready to serve his purposes. Now, here's the benefit of this. You go, man, that means like I have to live kind of like in faith? Yeah. Sort of scary. Absolutely. But you know what? What God invites us into is a life free of worry. Because if he is the Lord of your finances, then what that means is when he commands you to give or he commands you to not give or whatever he commands you to do, he is responsible to provide for you. Therefore, money loses its stranglehold of fear and worrying. Will we have enough? We, we had had some different financial things happen in our life and I think I lost a bunch of money in the stock market or something. And we were talking about it in the car and our kids were picking up on it. And I think they heard a little bit of that kind of sound in my voice. Like, I'm sad. I'm not okay with this. They were kind of beginning to express some worry and fear about money. And Bethany and I just said, hey, uh, we're not worried about money for multiple reasons. One, we have plenty. You're fine. You're going to get Nintendo games for Christmas, whatever. You're good. But also we trust in God. He's our provider. You see, do you know that with clear eyes, uh, I can tell my children, we're going to be okay because we serve God and we live at his purposes and he will provide for us. Um, that is very comforting to me to be able to, to put the onus and the burden of responsibility upon God, not, not upon my capacity and ability to be Superman, to earn it all and do it all. Are you with me? So money is everything. That's the wrong view. The second view that's wrong is this. Money is nothing. Money doesn't matter. And what happens here is where if money is everything, it stands in the place of God. If money is nothing, then we fail to re respond to the call of Christ to be stewards of resources for the expansion of God's kingdom. You see, one of the things that God wants to do is raise up wise, diligent, faithful men and women to steward vast fortunes for the goodness of God to be expressed across the four corners of the earth. Even from the very beginning when we were created in the Garden of Eden and we were there and Adam was given purposeful vocation. Hey, take care of the animals, name them, tend and keep the garden. Uh, there was work baked in there. There were resources that were entrusted because mankind is the, is the designated uh, ruler or steward of the earth. And therefore in the, the church and in good theology, we have a place for earning money uh, growing fortunes, actually being smart with our investments and using money with wisdom, not for our own benefit or betterment out of selfishness, but so that out of the overflow of what God has put into us and has invested in us, we become a blessor of the world. Are you with me? There's a lot of words there. But this idea that money is nothing is wrong. Richard Halverson said this, Jesus Christ said more about money than, any other, than about any other single thing because when it comes to man's real nature, money is of first importance. It is an exact index to a man's true character. All through scripture, there is an intimate co correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. Another quote from Randy Alcorn, this one's really good. He says, our handling of money is a litmus test of our true character. It's an index of our spiritual life. Our stewardship of our money and possessions becomes the story of our lives. What we do with our money loudly affirms which kingdom we belong to. Whenever we give, our, give of our resources to further God's kingdom, we cast a ballot 
for Christ and against Satan, for heaven and against hell. Whenever we use our resources selfishly and indifferently, we further Satan's goals. Two equally incorrect beliefs about money are that it is always evil or that it is always good. Both views have the advantage of all unbalanced positions. They require no discernment. Unfortunately, they are both also both result in excesses that undermine rather than further kingdom purposes. Satan is the master of extremes. As Luther said, Satan doesn't care which side of the horse we fall off as long as we don't stay in the saddle. So this idea that money is nothing, this sort of laissez-faire, you know, what is money? Money doesn't matter. No, money is a way you get every dollar you have is a, is a ballot that you cast in an election for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of darkness. When we spend our money thoughtlessly, when we use our money uh, selfishly, and I'm not talking about enjoying what God's blessed you with, I'm just talking about when we are actually like living wrongly with our finances or using them incorrectly, we are propagating the status quo and the systems and kingdoms of this world. But when a person begins to embrace what it means to be a disciple and see themselves as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven and realize every dollar that touches these hands is also being touched by the hands of Christ as I partake of what he's doing in my life. And now, when I spend a dollar here, I spend a dollar there, I'm trying to use my resources to expand God's kingdom, not the systems of this world. Amen? And that requires us to then begin to look at being wise with our finances and resources. This was something that Bethany and I had to, had to grow in in our life. And I'll talk about that in this third point. Number three, Use your money to live for legacy. Number three, use your money to live for legacy. I'm going to give you three subpoints here. If you've heard me preach more than once, you know I like points, subpoints, and subpoints to the subpoints. Uh, it's just a gift I have. I don't know. I just, you know, walk in it. But anyways, I want to give you three quick subpoints, action steps in this uh, idea to use our money to live for legacy. The first one is this. Defeat debt and control your spending. So if money is not everything but money is also not nothing, what does that mean? It means God wants to use money in my life as a way for me to serve him and bring him glory. And Bethany and I, when we first got married, we, uh, she brought two cars into the marriage. I brought one. They all had debt you know, attached to them. We, we spent like five grand on furniture to furnish our new place. And we spent this money on a credit card, uh, just in case you're wondering. And uh, we, we also spent like six grand on a honeymoon, we went to Target and bought a bunch of stuff. Man, we had a great week. It was fun. You know, it was really fun. <laughs> so here we are, two 22-year-old uh, young people, uh, you know, both of us just absolutely supermodel level attractive, you know, and just in case you're trying to imagine, you know, just and um, uh, getting married, you know, loving life, loving Jesus together. But we, we also were not loving having like thirty or $40,000 in credit card debt. And uh, we had both been raised in more on the lower side, middle income, maybe even poor different times in our life. And the training we'd received about money was like, well, you get a credit card and you use it. So you build up credit. That way somebody can help you get more broke later. You know what I mean? And um, anyways, uh, so we were using our credit and, and doing our whole thing. And I think for us, there was, there was multiple conversations about that. Now, we were generous at that time of our life. We gave very generously. It wasn't like we didn't give to the Lord, but we had bad thinking about money. We, we, weren't, we weren't seeing money as an act or a, as an indicator of our level of discipleship and wisdom and what God would call us to walk in. And I remember one day where it kind of broke, at least for me, we had gone out after Sunday with my family to Red Lobster, uh, mistake number one. And just kidding, if you like Red Lobster, sorry, but... That was awkward. The biscuits are good. Anyways, 
we're there and I'm looking at the menu and I start getting cold sweats, not from bad shrimp. It was actually the prices and I knew we were in debt. And I remember we ordered some food and I'm trying to eat this food, I think like shrimp platter or something. And literally every bite was like dust in my mouth because I knew this was going on our credit card. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's going on the credit card. And like, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing that we have an enormous pile of debt and I have a very tiny shovel. I have like a flimsy Dollar Tree uh, plastic shovel to move this mountain of debt. And so every shrimp was like ash in my mouth and my stomach began to hurt. So here I am with my family, with my wife at Sunday dinner. You're supposed to be enjoying it. You're supposed to be enjoying life. And I can't, I feel sick because debt is a master. It's a, it's a taskmaster. Debt was, was, was in our life. So when we talk about finances and living a legacy of generosity on a very practical level. Do you know God wants to set you free from debt? Uh, I'm here to encourage you that there are resources. If you, if you struggle with this, just be humble and ask for help because there are some wonderful families here, men and women that will sit down with you, help you build a budget, help you get an action plan to get out of debt. By the grace of God, you know, we went from that meal and we began to get out of debt and it was one shovel full at a time. And Towards the end of our debt journey, we actually heard Dave Ramsey and we, we were like, sweet, this is great. This is what we've been doing, you know, beans and rice, rice and beans, gazelle-like intensity and, and getting out of debt. And when we got out of debt, it was like a giant elephant was taken off my chest, you know, that was just sitting on me. It was like the freedom and God wants you to have that because when you are in debt, there is, an, there is another master at the table along with the Lord dictating what you get to do with your resources, Right? And so God wants you to experience that freedom of getting out of debt. Now, again, I, I try to share my story so you understand I'm not coming at this like some guru up here telling you that I've always done everything right with money. No, we've actually learned the hard way in almost every area of finances. And we're still growing and learning, still have a lot to learn. But I'm just here to tell you that it can happen. God can set you free from debt if you will embrace wisdom and principles and humble yourself to learn how to use money the right way. That, that credit card, I know at Christmas time, you know that credit card, it's like we're samurais, we're like whoosh, 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 swiping it, you know? I actually had to order a new one because the chip broke. So I'm like trying to swipe it, and they're like, it's not working. And I'm like, I have plenty of credit, I promise, you know? They're like, sir, you know? I'm like, no, no, my, ch my chip broke. Sure, sure, sure. Anyways, uh, I know at Christmas it can, you know, we're buying presents and all that, but I watch a lot of people, um, they almost have what I would call an animalistic approach to their finances, which is like, I see it, I eat it. You know, I, I want it, so I just go and get it. Um, just because you have a credit card doesn't mean you have to use it. Just because you can buy something doesn't mean you should, right? And again, what, 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 would, this, what would happen if we said, Jesus, should I buy this gum today? Jesus, should I buy this? Do I need the, the 2022 version of this truck or is the 2020 version okay? And do I have the money? You know, if you want to see God's heart for finances, watch that old SNL skit, you know? <laughs> have you seen that one with uh, Steve Martin? So you're saying if we don't have the money that we shouldn't buy it? Exactly. <laughs> if you don't have the money, don't buy it. Anyways, I'll leave you there. Defeat debt and control your spending. Recognizing this is a spiritual issue, not just a, a natural one. Number two, trust God with your tithe. Malachi 3.10 is the only place in the Bible where God says, I dare you. Put me to the test. If you do this... See what happens. In Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. God says, I dare you. Test me on this. 
Tithing, very simply, means taking the first 10% of your income and giving that to your local church. So for Bethany and I, as far as I know, Joy Church is our local church. I think so. I think we're apart here, kind of connected. So we tithe to this church. Oh, you do that because you're the pastors. No, we do that because we're Christians. We do that because we're disciples of Jesus and our money is not ours, it's his and everything we have. And so we follow this biblical pattern. Now, some of you are oversaved and you have all these arguments that, that I've never heard before about why it's Old Testament and all that. So I'd love to talk to you about it if you do have those arguments and things because um, many, many, many fine scholars and biblical theologians and everything have looked into this. And we definitely believe, I definitely believe that tithing is a New Testament, not just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament principle. We practice it, okay? And we have a position paper on our website, joyeugene.com give by Pastor Dave Patterson. You can read that. So there's no pressure on this, but if, you, if, if, you're, if you've had teaching about this against it, then I'd love to talk to you and at least open your eyes to the other side so that you can make a faithful decision. But I believe that tithing is essentially the launching pad of all financial prosperity and blessing that God wants to do because beyond the financial aspect of it, what it is is honoring the Lord with the first portion, saying, would my 90% left over be better than 100% in my hands if I actually show God he's in control by investing in this very practical way. It's tremendously powerful, and I encourage you to lean into that and examine that. What I will ask you to do is not ignore it. You see, one of the bad habits we have in church is that we hear a preacher say something and we go, oh, yeah, 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 and then we leave and we forget. Don't do that, because someday you'll stand before God and he'll say, you heard it from Jake. I know he looked funny with his mustache and his skinny jeans and his grandpa's old shoes, but he did say it to you, Okay? Amen. Number three in this, after we establish that habit and discipline of tithing, then we move into the place of what I would call embracing generosity and we dare God to bless us. I was in, uh, had the privilege to go to Cambodia many years ago and one of the things we did on this missions trip is we took a tour on the Mekong River and we're on this riverboat and we're going by a village of Hmong people that had come from Vietnam they were so poor, which Cambodia is not an affluent nation. These people were refugees in an absolutely poor nation. So if you want to talk about poverty, this was abject poverty. They were so poor, they couldn't even live on the land. So what they were doing was essentially squatting on the river. So they had put these like boats and different things out into the Mekong River. And they're living there, fishing, you know, going to the bathroom, bathing in this spot. I mean, it's very dirty, not, not, not nice, okay? This isn't like living on the river in Springfield on the McKinsey or something. This is different. This is they're living on the river, not next to the river, on it. And like most of us that, from the first world that go to the third world, it's shocking. I mean, it actually kind of hurts you at a deep level. And I, I, I was in the airport in Seoul, Korea after this trip. We had a 12-hour layover. And I was sitting there in the airport and I was almost like internally dying. Just like, God, I don't think I can go back. I, I don't think I can, I, I can't, even in good conscience, go home and have running water and like safety and, and, and just what I had seen. I was really shaken by this. And I was feeling a lot of guilt, you know, and, and uh, felt the Lord say something very, very uh, clearly to my spirit. He said, Jake, I don't want you to have empty hands. I want you to have open hands. And in that moment, I realized the heart of God was not to put me on the river. It was to use me to get people off the river. Let me say that again. The heart of God was not to put me in the place of the person living on the river. The heart of God was to help use me, the blessing in my life, the prosperity in my life, the, the work of God in me, 
to be a blessing to them to help get them off the river. This is a kingdom perspective. How do you know you're listening to the, the, the milk of human kindness in a humanistic perspective is always to let's tax the rich into their poverty so we can all be miserable together. That's hell. Heaven says everybody has a seat at the table. We all are lifted. When the water in the bay comes in, all the boats are raised. What it requires is people that God is blessing with affluence to become people of influence and become people of generosity. And so God spoke to me, Jake, I don't want you to have empty hands because I was ready to go home and like sell everything and move to Cambodia or whatever. That was probably a fleeting notion, but in the airport I was, I was just wrecked. He said, don't want you to have empty hands. I want you to have open hands so that I can put my blessings in your hands, but you don't close your fists on them, but rather you say everything I have, everything I am, just like every other part of my life as a disciple is open to what you want to do with it, God. And this is where we say, God, I dare you to bless me. If you can get it to me, then you will get it through me. And this is where we go into the absolutely fun level of living as a kingdom person when it comes to generosity is where God begins to bless you. And rather than your blessing bringing stress, your blessing all of a sudden becomes a place of joy because you invite your children and your spouse and your family to say, hey, God has done so much in us and through us not just the forgiveness and the life we have in Christ, but also our blessings financially that God's given us jobs and income and savings accounts and all this kind of stuff. And he doesn't want us to be in poverty. He wants to, he wants to use our prosperity to lift others out of poverty. And we're blessed to be a blessing. And so God wants to, to, to invite us into this new economy of generosity where all that we have comes from him. We live a life free of worry and fear about finances and we trust him, but, he, but we use our resources to advance the kingdom of God. And so the question is this, simply, are your resources under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Is generosity the posture of your heart? What story about your worship would your bank statement tell if you weren't there to explain it all away? Could you sit down with a fellow Christian and be like, you can see the kingdom of God manifest here through this Bank of America statement? And that's a tough question because there's a lot of things I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, I, I needed that extra uh, er, e, I, O, U. Am I living a God-centered life of generosity or am I living a self-centered life? And these are tough questions. And as we begin to ask them and embrace them and let the Holy Spirit do his work in our heart, the invitation is that we become generous people. Not moment by moment generous, like, oh, every once in a while I give, but no, God transforms us where money doesn't have a hold on our heart, it's not God, and we serve him and our resources are a part of our following Jesus. And God uses our blessings to be a blessing to the world around us. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? As we talked today about giving, we talked about generosity, I don't want to fail to mention that all Christian generosity begins with not our generosity, but the generosity of our Heavenly Father who gave Jesus Christ as an offering for our sins. Jesus left heaven. He was born as a man. He lived a perfect life. He gave his life on a Roman cross, as I mentioned earlier, 2,000 years ago. He was physically crucified and he was physically resurrected. And he invites us to put our faith and trust in him as two things, as Messiah, which means he saves us, forgives us, redeems us, ransoms us, and also as Lord, which means he takes over the wheel. He takes that captain's chair and we live at his pleasure. And all that we have and all that we are is given to him as our Lord. So today, if you're here and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to receive what 
Jesus did for me. I want to get into this generous life. I want to join the kingdom of God, join the family of God, where God completely rescues you and changes you and begins to transform you from the inside out. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today, would you raise your hand so I can see? And I just want to pray with you. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Come on, this is a great moment right now to give your life to Jesus, to choose him and to turn over allegiance of your heart to him. Anybody else in this place today? I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Amen. We're going to pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with God. I give you my life and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.